0: If you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 again this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking this morning at verses 5 through 7. And really what is the first part of what should be a two-part sermon, but we'll save the second half for next Lord's Day, Lord willing. So we'll get through the first part of what I am going to simply say is, the well-equipped Christian life, the well-equipped Christian life that Peter is closing this great letter with. Let me back up and begin in verse 1 of chapter 5 so that we have the full context of what Peter is writing here. He says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. That is key as we move into this morning's text proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that is Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be the the equipped people that You have provided the equipment for. May, May we not leave anything on the table this morning as it relates to the gracious gifts that You have given so that Your people might be ready to live the life that we are called to live. So that we would not suffer spiritual harm or detriment by falling away from You. That that we wouldn't be so distraught that we would forget You. That we would be well-equipped, stable, firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in the worship of the Lord, for the love of the Lord. We pray that you would do this in us this morning, equip us through your word, we pray for Jesus' sake, amen. You'll notice that Peter begins, as I mentioned last week, in this particular chapter as he's trying to get the plane down into a landing pattern. And he's been so forcefully and so helpfully instructing us and exhorting us. And it's almost as if Peter, his thoughts are running into a bottleneck. And he's got to say some very important things to get to the end of his letter. And so he he begins to to strip things down and get to the heart of how we are to be equipped. And one of those is leadership, as we saw last week in chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. And leadership is key in any organization, in any endeavor in life, and so Peter begins not only with the church at the end of chapter 4 as the supreme people who need to get their house in order, but then he begins with the leaders, the elders in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, unlike the design of some perversions of Christianity, some groups that have claimed the name of Christ, claimed to lead for Christ. Yet they regard leadership and things as something to be manipulated for their own personal gain. This is the opposite of what Peter is saying here he's he's straying away from the perversion of what leadership sh- should look like, and he tells the leaders, "Hey, look, you're to lead by example." At the end of verse three, be examples to the flock. The laity, that the sheep that are given to your temporal care, are not there to serve you, to keep you in power, to stroke your ego, to enrich you in any way. You are to lead by example to prepare them for this well-equipped Christian life. And so Peter is concerned, obviously, as I mentioned in in verse 3, that that the leaders would lead by example to adequately prepare the people to live in the world into which God in His sovereign plan has caused them to be born. And so he begins by reminding leaders not to live for themselves, but for the people that they serve. What a novel concept of leadership in our day. Leadership is, whether it's in politics, whether it is in business, whether it is in the church, sadly. Leadership seems to be viewed as something that exists to enrich, inflate. Or to otherwise advance the person in leadership not to serve those people of God. And a reminder from last week, you are not my people. You are God's people. The elders of the church should not look at the people of God as something that belongs to them. They belong to Christ. We're simply there to serve Christ by serving them. To, to take upon us the role that Christ did. The form of a servant. And prepare them for their wedding day when the bride meets the bridegroom. When the church is called home to be with her Savior, that is our greatest joy is that you would arrive well-equipped, well-prepared to meet the One who gave Himself for you. He loves you. And that is our highest joy in calling then as leaders in the church. Men, it's Father's Day. I would submit to you that this transfers as well to the leaders in the home. You're the shepherd of your home. You're the, the caregiver of Christ in the home to care for the people of God. And so, those are the ones God has given you, your wife, your children. You are to live in similar mindset and fashion. But Peter's concern overall is for the people of God, for the church, for those under our care. Peter cares about the Christian That's you. Isn't it amazing that God in His infinite love and providence would inspire words? Because not only did He die for you, but He cares for you so much so that He gives instructions to the people who are going to take care of you. Like parents who are going out on a date and they're leaving their children with a babysitter and the last words uttered by the parents are instructions to the babysitter, right? Children don't belong to the babysitter. But they are cared for by the babysitter until the parent returns. And so it is. Christ so cares for you, Christian, so loves you that he is very specific to those in leadership as to how he wants them to care for you, to equip you for living in this life. And so Peter gives three preparations for the Christian life that the leadership is to be aware of and to be promoting and teaching and Coming alongside and helping in. But these commands are not only for the leadership, they are for you as well. I want you to notice, number one, we are to prepare for life in submission. We're to prepare in submission. Notice verse 5. Peter writes and he says, you younger men, likewise, likewise to whom that the elders whom he has just addressed. You see why I'm tying these together. Then you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Elders are subject to God. Elders are subject to, to one another. Therefore, you younger men, you younger generation, learn the important value of submission. Submission is at the The root of the Christian life. We may not like it. In fact, no sinful person likes submission. We are all born as non-submissive people. All you have to have is a few moments with a child being told to do something they don't want to do, and you'll find out just how quickly human nature is hardwired against submission. Even in our own hearts, when we're told to do something we don't want to do as adults, we bristle. We we may be socially refined so as not to show the bristling, but we bristle. Because we're not, any of us, naturally submissive people. But the Christian life is a call to submission. You really start to think about the Christian life. Everything in the Christian life begins with submission. There is no Christian life without it. Think about your faith. Your your faith, the faith that, that unites you to Christ, requires submission. Submission to the truth of God's Word. You must submit to the things that Scripture says about Jesus Christ. You must submit to those in order to believe those. You must believe that He is the sinless Son of God. You must believe that He died in your place. You must believe that you are a sinner. Obedience then as a Christian to the commands of God in order to live out the Christian life in a fruitful and joyous and God-glorifying way requires that you submit to those commands. Obedience requires submission. Functioning relationships then within your life require a submission to God's order and to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, submit to your parents. Uh, you younger men, submit to older men in the church, those who God has given as leaders over you. But all of you, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. It, it, it's, it's rampant, this idea of humility and submission and preferring one another more than we prefer ourselves. To not think primarily of ourselves, but to think of others as more important. And so Peter writes and he tells the young men in the congregation, you younger men, just as the older men and the, those in leadership have learned these lessons, you too must learn these lessons. Now, the term elder here is, could be used, and it is used in various places in Scripture to refer to those who are older. Or it can be used to refer to a specific office. And here I think it's appropriate to understand it in both ways. To learn submission not only to the spiritual leaders in your church, but to older men who have the wisdom to lead you, to train you, to be an example to you. I think one of the most dangerous trends that a church could seek to pursue is a marketing scheme that appeals only to the young. We need people further down the road than us To teach us. It's foolish and dangerous to to value youth above age and wisdom. And by the way, I think that's a problem in Western culture as a whole. Western culture tends to value and prize and try to preserve youth at any and all cost. Whereas Eastern culture tends to prize and value age and wisdom and experience. It's a difference of the way people look at life. And so Peter says, you young men, specifically, because you will be the leaders someday, you will be charged with equipping those behind you. You young men, learn submission so that you can be those right kind of teachers. And, and unless we think this is a command unique to men, Paul gives this command and this example in Titus chapter 2. The older women are to teach the younger women. And younger women are to submit to that and learn from them and look at their lives and examine their lives and take from them and to to submit to what they say. Not in servile obedience. But if you're wise, you'll listen to people. Wisdom listens so that they are strengthened. It's dangerous for us to say, yeah, but you don't understand. No, but you don't listen to wise counsel that comes from those with more experience, more maturity, greater age, although age is not necessarily always an indicator of wisdom. It should be, but it's not always. But listen to those more mature, more advanced in life than you are, so that you would be well equipped. They know things. God is given them experiences in order to help you. And so Peter is eager for these young men not to stumble their way through lives, but to learn their way through life by submitting to the teaching and the example of those who are older than them. And unless we miss the bigger picture and forget that this is, and again, sometimes chapter division and verse numbers aren't helpful. Because we tend to read it as, oh, Peter changes thoughts from verse 7 to verse 8. There were no numbers. It was a letter. How many of you have ever written a letter and versed it and chaptered it? You know, nobody. We just write the letter, right? And so w- sometimes if you read it that way, and there, there are new Bible uh, out there that take away those things, and you can just read it as one text without all of the uh, cluttering of chapter divisions and verse divisions. And that's helpful sometimes. Just read the thing straight through and quit looking at the analytical divisions that came after and are not inspired. But unless we miss the, the bigger picture, I want you to just look around for a moment at the text. Do that. Look at your Bibles and, and look before, just scan it and scan after what Peter is saying in the text this morning. And see if you notice something lurking in the shadows. You do, don't you, in verse 8. In verse 8, there is an adversary hiding. He's waiting for you. Not only is he waiting for you, he is waiting to destroy you. And so as Peter writes these things, he writes them in the whole. What Peter has to say in verses 4 through 7 is getting you ready for verses 8 and 9. And it is a serious thing. This is no time to buck wise, immature leadership or teaching. To reject it. To argue with it. To push back against it. Your adversary, the devil, is roaming looking for you. You better listen. You'll be wise to listen to your own detriment. You'll reject that teaching. God has placed people in your lives. They're not perfect people. They're not perfect pastors. They're not perfect elders. They're not perfect friends. They're not perfect parents or grandparents. But God put them in your life for a reason. Listen to those who exhibit spiritual maturity. It would be the height of foolishness to cast off the very things God out of love for you has placed. Look at me in house. You don't have to go shopping for it. It's there. It would be the height of foolishness to cast off what God has put in-house to prepare you. And instead to charge headlong in your pride, in your stubbornness, in your self-focusedness, right into the mouth of the devil who is sitting there like a lion with his mouth open. Pride will drive you there. Humility will keep you out of there listen and submit their their job and our job as believers is to help one another therefore do not refuse that help but rather peter says learn to submit to it again submission has a bad connotation in our day but it is a is a fruit of righteousness that yields peace and joy when we learn it hebrews 13 17 writer of hebrews is strong about this obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls not because they enjoy lording over you though no, they're watching for your souls because they have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief speaking of giving an account to god for those under our charge for that would be unprofitable for you 1st Thessalonians 5:12 and 13 but we request of you brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work live in peace with one another how are we going to do that by learning by listening by heeding what is given to us young people especially Peter singles you out. Why? Because young people, in their foolishness, and their lack of experience, think they know better. In their pride, they think they know more. They think mom and dad and the pastors over them and, and, and older godly friends in their lives, they don't get it. And so they charge headlong into their own destruction. They are not at peace with God, with themselves or with others. What does rejection look like? Young people, look for these things in your life. Adults, look for these things in your life. What does is, what is rejection of such things look like? Dismissing wise counsel. No, you don't get it. I'm not even going to entertain the thought. You, I have my mind made up. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, so many things around us. It, we just go to it and we see people doing this all over you. They just, you know whether it's press conferences or whatever, they call on people who already know the answer to the question just so they can say it. Dismissing wise counsel, dismissing things. That, that's a rejection. That's a sign of a lack of submission. Rejecting teaching, criticizing uh, sound doctrine, sound teaching, mature teaching, opposing people through sinful confrontation or Moving about to cause division against those who've tried to counsel and help and teach. Those are all ways that young hearts and immature hearts tend to react, not submissively, but in pride to sound teaching. Now, does that hurt the, the, the ones who are teaching? No, it only hurts the one who's rejecting it. Does it diminish from God? No. No. It doesn't diminish God's Word. It doesn't change truth. It doesn't change reality. It only hurts you. It only hurts you because in the ultimate analysis, as Paul is exhorting these younger men, these elders who are trying to teach you and trying to help you will have to give an account to God for how you responded to the teaching. Don't make them have to give an honest yet negative report that you rejected it. That won't go well for you, Hebrews says. Submission, however, does not occur in a vacuum. We we don't just become submitted people. You you understand that? We don't just become submissive people. Submission is the fruit of humility. And that's the second thing. We we need to prepare in submission. Submission to be well-equipped in the Christian life, but we must also prepare in humility. Submission is the fruit that is cultivated in the greenhouse of humility. Humility produces submission. And so let's look at what Peter says next. You younger men are to be subject or submitted to your elders, but all of you, elders included, are to clothe ourselves with humility toward each other. Peter follows the command of submission by the command to having a heart and a spirit that is characterized, clothed in, bathed in, oozes out humility. Now let's talk about what humility is. Humility is not a pity party. A humility is not, poor me, I'm such a wretched person. I am just a a bad person and I'm just a terrible this or a, a terrible that. That's not humility. You know why it's not humility? Because you're still thinking about you. Humility is not thinking about yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And Christ and others more. The word literally means lowly thinking. Unimportant thinking. And you know, some of the most... Let's be honest, this is this is tough... This is a tough pill to swallow, but I've been there, and, and, I, and I know you have too. Sometimes our pride manifests itself in pity. We just sit around and think about it. Poor me, poor me, poor me. That's not humility. Humility is, yes, I'm a sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior. And my, my, my goal in life is to think upon Him and not just to beat myself down. That's false humility. And I've seen a lot of that in Christian writing over the last decade. Don't fall prey to that. Don't don't get into navel gazing, okay? There's nothing beautiful there. Only harmful. Focus on Christ. Focus on others. Lowly thinking. Who am I? What am I? I'm, I'm moving on to higher and grander thoughts. And so to be well-equipped in the Christian life, to be clothed in humility toward one another, (laughs) Peter says, that's what you must do. To be well-equipped. Think about John. John the Baptist in John 3.30, speaking of Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. Notice how he begins that. Christ must increase. I I must fade into the background. There must be less of me and more of him. That's humility. Philippians 3 8, more than that, Paul says, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm just not even thinking about Paul. Thinking about Christ, my Lord, my Savior for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Wow. Self-focused thinking will inevitably lead to living in whatever manner is necessary to promote the self. Whatever that is, whether that's in heavy-handed domineering of people, whether that's in Uh, you know, self-pity that that continues to foster you as the center of all things. Self-focused thinking in whatever way it manifests itself will lead to you doing whatever is necessary to preserve yourself at the center of all things. And that's where compromise comes in. That's a fatal way of thinking for a Christian. If we are only interested in ourself, and if self is the main thing, we will do whatever it takes to preserve ourself. We'll give up anything for ourself. We'll we'll ensure that we are always comforted or prospered or advanced or not challenged in some way. We we will do whatever. That's human nature. We, 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 We just naturally preserve ourselves i remember one time as a young person my best friend and i 15 years old got on an airplane we flew across the country to a basketball camp because you know we were going to be the next big stars sure five foot seven you got a future we flew all the way to virginia we went to a, a basketball camp at a well known camp on the East Coast and I remember the the basketball club, the head coach of the college team was teaching a lesson one day. He says, You know, quit throwing passes out here where the guy will reach out and block it with his hand. He said, Quit doing that. So they're gonna pick it off every time. He said, You know how you get a pass by somebody? He said, Throw it as hard as you can right at their face. He said, Because I can promise you one thing, they're gonna move. Zip it by their head. He said, they're not going to stand there and take it. Why? Human nature wants to, it doesn't want to get hit. It it wants to preserve itself. So it is spiritually in our pride. We will do anything to preserve ourselves. We'll we'll move out of the way. We won't rock the boat. We won't make a stand. We, We won't do anything that hurts us. Think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He wanted the kingdom of heaven, but he wanted the kingdom of heaven as another trophy for his mantle. Not as the only trophy on the mantle. And he couldn't think less of himself. He couldn't bring himself to think less of himself to give up everything else in order to follow Jesus. Why? Because that was his identity, not Christ. Because that was his comfort, not Christ. Does the Bible condemn what he had? No. But the Bible condemned him loving that more than loving Christ. More than being willing to submit and get rid of his identity. If that's what it takes, that's what I'll do. But he found pride at the root of this young man's heart. Not humility. So Peter, like all the other Writers of scripture is unanimous in calling for humility, a a shedding of the self as supreme, and Christ and others as our goal. That is to be the defining garment of Christianity. It's how Christ himself is defined, isn't it? In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, that Christ humbled himself and took upon him the form of a slave. It's an interesting word that Peter uses here when he says, clothe yourselves with humility. The word is literally to tie something to yourself, to fasten it firmly. The picture is a slave who would tie the apron around his waist before he began to wash the feet of those in the household. Peter says, let humility be tied around you. Let it be that which covers you. And when people see you, they know you are a servant. One who has been humbled in the household. Let it be of service to others. And ultimately, let it be of service to you. It is of utmost importance that you do this. Because that will be key to your survival key to your prospering as a Christian and by the way how can we say we can't do that when Christ himself has done it Christ washed his disciples feet John 13 13 you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am that's not arrogance that's just truth it is who he is If then the Lord and the teacher, I, the Lord and your teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a piercing message from jesus are you greater than me i served but you won't serve you're confessing that you really do believe you're greater than me you won't humble yourself you won't think of yourself less then i cannot grasp that you are truly mine i am your master and i serve and yet you're the follower and they're too good to serve too good to be humbled And herein lies the reality, in pride, we exclaim, that's what we are. We're better than you, Lord. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to pay attention. Now, I want you to notice the motivation. It's not because I say it. I say it to help you. I say it to warn some of you. I say it to encourage others of you who are on that road of humility. But but here's the real reason you should listen. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's motivation. God resists no 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 I want you to hear what Peter is saying. God does not simply say, "Okay, the proud don't want me, I'll go somewhere else." That would be okay. That would be tolerable to some of Us in our pride, we'd be, okay, as long as God just let me do my own thing, you do Okay, fine, we'll do our own thing. Notice why Peter, God resists you. The word is actively working against you. If you choose to reject the humility Peter speaks of here, you have now picked a fight with God. Bad decision. Wrong decision. Unfruitful and unprofitable decision. God resists you. God will actively oppose you. The word literally means those that show themselves above others. How often do you spend time in your day thinking of others versus thinking of yourself? You are the kind of person God will oppose. Whatever context that thinking is in. How much time how many of your resources what is your heart's driving desire to to have self-focus and by the way that is so prevalent in our society isn't it think of yourself think of yourself thank of everybody everybody's a chief everybody's a king everybody is right everybody deserves don't you hear that everywhere you go Don't you see it in the advertisements? They're appealing to the carnal part of humanity. And Peter says that's the fastest way to be opposed by God. Humble yourselves. Show humility. So that God does not literally, this is is the word picture in the Greek, line up against you. To be lined up against. Think of a football game. The biggest, strongest guys. What do they do? They line up against each other. Think about the way wars used to be fought. was Recently watching a Revolutionary War movie. And I said to Weston, isn't that crazy how they used to fight? I mean, they would march out. They'd fan out. They'd all line up against each other. And they'd just aim their guns at each other and shoot. And then the other side would shoot. It just seems absolutely insane. And it is. And Peter says here's what you're doing. You're going out onto a battlefield with your pride, with your arrogance, and you're standing there across from God, and God's going to line up for you, and guess who's going to win? It won't be you. Resist that instead. Tie on the towel of humility. God resists the proud, but he does. On the other hand, give grace to the humble. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and a holy place. No, get the picture. He's the king of kings. He's the ruler of everything. He owns everything. That's where he dwells but He also dwells here with the contrite and lowly of spirit. With us. In our poverty. In our neediness. He goes on to say, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly. Wait, what did that word humble mean? Oh yeah, lowly thinking. Where does God dwell? With the lowly. Why? To revive the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. So God lives in two places. He lives on His throne and He rules over all. And He lives with the contrite and the broken. But He doesn't live in between with the proud. He fights them. But He lives on His throne and He lives with the broken. What a God! What a God! That he can live in the two extremes, but not in the middle where the proud are. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The threat is real, but brothers and sisters, grab hold of the promise as well. For it is equally real that God is near to the humble. He lives with the contrite. He lives with the broken. But he opposes the proud. The grace of God will lead you to life. It will lead you to being preserved. So Peter issues this great statement. Humble yourselves, verse 6. Under the mighty hand of God. Don't wait until you see God lined up against you. Humble yourself before that. Confess your sin. Confess your weakness. Confess your need to Him. Tie on the towel of a servant who expects nothing. And cast your care upon the Mighty One who dwells upon His throne. Who dwells upon the mountain. But also with you. Humble yourselves, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God. Don't make God humble you. It's Father's Day, so let's use a Father's Day analogy. Probably most of us at one point in our life have heard these words. Wait until... This is coming from your mother. Just wait until what? Your dad gets home, right? What does that mean? There was big trouble in little China. Daddy was coming home. And Peter is saying, listen, before it gets to that point, humble yourself humble yourself before the lord don't wait until you see god lined up against you confess your sin confess your needs because the action of god will be mighty when it comes it will be mighty this is how israel knew him genesis 49:24 but his bow remained firm his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of jacob You want to know, you do, trust me, you want to know the mighty hand of God in grace, but not in judgment. Not in breaking you. Humble yourselves. Peter wants for these people that he obviously loves and cares about. Peter wants God to lift them up by his sovereign hand. He wants God to be able to Put them on a steady place. Not to put them into the pit of despair. He wants them to be exalted. He wants them to to have a robust and mature and stable and strong Christian life. That's going to weather the storms that he knows and that we know are coming against us. And he knows that the only way that this is going to happen is if they humble themselves. Luke 14 verse 11 For everyone who exalts himself Jesus says will be humbled. There's a great humbling. And he who humbles himself Jesus says will be exalted. Peter's just seizing on our Lord's words. He will exalt you in the proper time. He'll prepare you for the battles in your humility for the proper time. So that regardless of what comes in this life, the humble, focused and and, and fixed on Jesus Christ have the hope of his preserving and lifting hand. I want you to understand that this is not a guarantee, though, that our life will be free from discouragement or hardship. It's not. This is not. Prosperity Christian living. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it does mean that it will be possible. And so we're given one more command. We are to submit ourselves. We're to humble ourselves. And then thirdly you're to prepare in faith by casting. Casting. All your anxiety on him. Because he cares. For you. Our. Pride. Our lack of humility. Often comes out. As self. Well I have to do this. I have to think this way. I, I have to do these things. I have to be like this. Because you don't understand. If I don't then bad things are going to happen. Peter says you're to surrender completely. You're to humble yourself in faith completely. You are to battle the anxiety that comes from your pride wanting to hang on to yourself by casting all of your anxieties Plural in the Greek, casting all your anxieties. And here is how intense it is. Peter knows that these Christians are looking at the world around them and they see the storm clouds and they hear the threats and they read the legislation and they know what's coming and their friends have already lost their property and they know they're next and etc., etc., etc. And Peter says this, if we were to read it literally. All your anxieties. It is for emphasis. Everything about you that pushes back, that that tries to preserve yourself in, in pride and in arrogance instead of trusting in Christ. All your anxieties, he says, cast on him. All your anxieties cast on him. Why? He cares for you. Not only does he care for you, he has carried those anxieties himself. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? Should we do this, Peter? Because your Savior has already carried that anxiety. Your Savior already knows everything about the human experience. That is mind-blowing. Everything He has experienced on this earth. Yet He did it without sin. He did it without pride. He did it without self-focused thinking. He did it. Without rejecting the will of his father. The teaching of scripture. Christian what does it do for you. To know that nothing that you have. Or will experience in this life. Is outside of Jesus. Number one understanding of it. And number two. Care for you in it. Jesus cares for you. He can care for you. Because he's lived for you. The Psalms of Amen, as we've said before, are characterized by two great realities. Every one of them you can, you can look at and you can understand that two great truths are being th- taught. Number one, God cares. And number two, God can. God can relieve you in distress. But, but let's add a third one here according to Peter's teaching. God will. God will preserve his children. God will secure his children. God will see you through the darkest of times. All your anxieties. This is not hypothetical. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have real anxieties. They're not made up. They're real. You battle things. You battle fear. You battle uh, depression. You battle Multiple different things. I can't even begin to list them all because I don't even know myself well enough most days to understand everything, let alone all of you. But all of what we battle cast on him. The the verb literally means to saddle him with something. If you've ridden a horse, you know the drill, right? You brush the horse. You blanket the horse. You saddle the horse. And Peter says this is like saddling an animal. You cast everything on him. And when you get on the horse, your full trust is in the horse and his ability to bear the weight. That's what you do here. All your anxieties cast because God cares. He cares for you, Peter says. That's why you should do this. God can do it and God will do it. The totality of all we can bring to Him so that we don't have to hang on to our pride. Our self-reliance. Our me against the world mentality. We can leave all of that behind. Come to Jesus because He cares. And He knows. And He can. Jesus alone can bear them. Let's be honest in the world that we live in with the cares that we have. And I know because I've expressed them and some of you have been helpful in reminding me about those things. Some of you have expressed things to me about the things we see just like people in Peter's day saw. We're all aware of one thing. We can't bear these on our own. Our psychologists can't bear them for us or they wouldn't tell us to keep returning. Only Jesus can finally, fully, completely take them. Nothing on earth will. Nothing on earth can fully take our anxieties. But Jesus can. And he will. Our diversions can't numb them away. Right? I'm convinced that's one reason the world stays so busy. So constantly needing saturation. Is because we're looking for some diversion to numb the anxieties we carry. And Jesus says, bring them to me. I care for you. I'm the only one who can really help you. Our anxieties... Are not a statement that God has failed. Our anxieties are a statement that we have failed. That our faith has failed. That that we have looked to the wrong things to help us. And we begin to place our anxieties. And we begin to place our trust in so many different other places. And I have to look at this and say what an opportunity squandered should have been casting them on jesus the entire time because he cares for me he cares for me and he's he's given avenues and ways in which i can do that i think about john newton and his It goes by different names we have it in a couple of our hymnals here And the words go something like this. Large petitions bring. Why? Because he can satisfy those. He can carry those. Large petitions with you bring. Why? He cares for us. These early Christians living in the first century. We've not experienced what they've experienced. We don't know what they've known. The cares that they had, the fears that they had, the deprivations and the persecutions that these poor people were carrying. Real, not imagined, real. And Peter says, it's okay. Jesus will take those. Jesus can take this. Cast all your anxieties on him. Saddle him with literally everything he cares for you. And he will take care of you and and you can submit yourself and you can you can learn and you can live and you can grow. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved those who are crushed in spirit. That's good news for us because we all fit that description. So then it becomes easier, doesn't it? I think it does. That the more we look at this Savior, the more we look at Jesus, the easier it becomes to humble ourselves and submit and let go. I don't have to hold on to my pride. I don't have to hold on to my attempts to make life work. I don't have to hold on to my attempts to to do any of this, to, to reconcile any of this, to you know, do my own thing because I think I know better and I'm just, no. You can let it go. You can submit when you know who Jesus is. If our God does not bear our burdens, He's not God. If the God who you claim to worship cannot carry your burdens, then let me tell you something. You don't have a God. You have an idol. Because the God that saves, the God who is the the only true God is mentioned in Isaiah 53, 4 as the one who carried our griefs and bore our sorrows. And we looked at him in our pride and we said, he is stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. How can he? possibly be the Messiah. And yet he did. We know that. There's an empty tomb that proves that. The greatest anxiety that we carry about as a sinner needs to be this. Who will carry our sin? I can't. You can't. I can't carry it for you. You can't carry it for me. So who will take our sin? Ah. The one who bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. The one who carries the greatest of our anxieties. That is what we will do about sin. Only Jesus fits that description. Only Jesus is worthy of being submitted to. Only Jesus. But we must humble ourselves and bring ourselves to that point where we bring him our sins. And by faith, cast our sins on Him. Burden Him with your sins. Burden Him with the anxiety of sin. Because He alone can carry it. He alone can atone for it. We come to Jesus that way for salvation. So let me just ask a question in closing. If we come to Jesus... For salvation, casting all of our sin upon him, burdening him with everything. Why would we think it's a good idea in the Christian life than to pick up lesser burdens and try to carry them ourselves? It doesn't make any sense. Jesus, I'll humble myself and let you deal with the greatest problem I have. That is my sin. But when it comes to these other things, stay out of my life. Let me handle this. God will oppose that. But he'll give grace to the humble who continue to live in faith. In Jesus Christ. He cares for you. Keep saddling him with all your anxieties. Humble yourself. Listen. Learn of him. I love Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Right? What a great Savior. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Saddle me with everything. And reap the grace of God in your life. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Life in a fallen world is difficult. It will remain difficult. But but God has prepared us. He's gifted us to be prepared to live confidently, assuredly, blessedly in the Lord. But it takes humbling ourselves. It takes casting all of our anxieties upon Him, knowing, being convinced that He does, He does. He really cares for you. He cares for you, and He can carry those burdens. Christian, if you're here this morning, you're carrying burdens, you're carrying anxieties. Can I encourage you, come to the Savior who you trust for your salvation and cast your cares on Him, whatever they may be. He cares for you. He can and will help you. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are still carrying the greatest of anxieties, the greatest of burdens, and that is your sin, and only Jesus can remedy that. Bring Him your sin. Cast your sin on Him. Confess that and know that He will save you from the greatest burden. And that is the eternal judgment of God against you for your sin. Cast your cares. Cast your sins upon Him. He cares for you. May the Lord give us and grant us the grace to humble ourselves in this way. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus thank you that he loves us and cares for us now lord break our pride and cause us to cast everything upon him using every available means that we might be sustained and strengthened well equipped for the christian life knowing that that our adversary is real and he lies in the next verse but we can resist him through these things so prepare us and cause us to trust and to cast all of our anxieties upon him knowing that he cares for us father bless your people in the week to come let them find sweet relief and comfort in their savior for it's in his name that we pray